last week after the helicopter. You talked about him being careful, and then he was throwing his shoulder around a couple different occasions yesterday. How do you how do you kind of use that element to temper the injury risk? Oh, um, I don't know. I think uh, we're still trying to work on that. We showed him examples of quarterbacks sliding and using the rules to their advantage. I guess we'll have to show them examples of quarterbacks not sliding and getting knocked out of them. So we're going to try the the other way this week. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Coach Vrabel dropped out there for a second. I'm not sure what word he. Yeah. Never mind. I can. I'll let you yeah. know. I'll Good say morning. it a few times during the Good show. Morning. Everybody, don't nope, worry. Nope, 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 <laughs> nope. Space it out a little bit. All it's right. It's Wednesday, December thirteenth. Twelve days until Christmas. Eleven shopping days. I guess. I don't know. I guess you can shop all the way up until Christmas Day. I don't think you can get it at your house Christmas Day, but you can at least order it and show someone you care by displaying the proof of purchase from Amazon or wherever else. Regardless, you definitely can. You can get it. You get last second stuff this this day and age. I just saw, you know, Walmart. They got a thing that goes. You can get deliveries till like four o'clock on Christmas Eve. So if you're one of those idiots like I usually am, you can go up to the last second there. No doubt about it. But what about literally having someone show up at your house on Christmas Day with your thing? Well, Christmas like Eve. I don't know Santa about Christmas Claus. Day, but Christmas Eve. I'm talking I think. about yeah. Christmas Day. Yes, right. But you hear the truck roll up the driveway, and out comes Santa with your gift. Hey, kids, you want gifts or Christmas not? Day. I don't know. What do they want? They're beggars can't be choosers here. That's what I'd say. <laughs> well, it would be nice if people could, like, you know, take the day off and spend time with their families. But commerce, baby. Got to make money. Got to spend it. Got to make it. Got to earn it. Got to go. That's what we got to do for the next two hours. We're here to make a little money for ourselves, for NBC, for Peacock, while we entertain you or at least try to and inform you or at least try to about the happenings in the National Football League. Again, the show's BFT Live. Peacock Series XM85, Sky Sports NFL, whenever they decide to put us on. I still think it's 6 o'clock local time. I haven't heard differently, so I'll go with that. Podcast, obviously. Podcast open 24-7, wherever you get it, however you get it, whenever you get it. All right. I love Rabel's delivery. I yesterday. love it. I love it. It's great. It is. But it it captures the attitude that we have when it comes to the basic notion of quarterback health. Minimize the number of hits. Maximize your health. It is a basic mathematical formula. The fewer times you're hit, the less likely you are to be hurt. And the one shining example that sticks out for me is the stupid-ass Jimmy Garoppolo dropping his shoulder at the sideline to be a tough guy against the Chiefs week 3, 2018. And what did he do? Towards ACL. Yeah. Dropping his shoulder into a DB. I'm a tough guy. I work out. I'm going to show you and there goes the ACL. Now, sometimes when it happens within the heat of the game, at some key moment, it can be galvanizing for a team. Yeah, maybe sure. You call it a calculated right. risk. It's not a calculated risk to drop a shoulder at the sideline when you're going out of bounds anyway. That's not a calculated risk. That's just uncalculated stupidity. Well, yeah, I agree. Now, you know, like, like you said, Jimmy Garoppolo, he's, uh, he, he did a stupid thing there. He ain't built like Will Levis. Right? I mean, Will Levis has been a little crazy the last few weeks. That's for sure. I, I respect the, 
you know, the the will, the want to, the physicality of the player all together. But it's went over, it went overboard the other day. I mean, this right there, I mean, first off, giving Jalen Ramsey the business there, Jalen Ramsey didn't even know how to react after that. And, of course, there was another two or three plays as well, let alone on the, you know, the defensive touchdown. He tried to lower his shoulder and stop. Who was that? I can't even remember who scored that touchdown there. Uh, Siler, right? He tried to lower his shoulder to tackle him there. So, uh, yeah, he's got to be careful, definitely. And, and it's one of them that, you, you know, college, you might be able to get away with some of that stuff. NFL, you are not going to get away with that. And hopefully he learns that before he learns a tough lesson. We saw Tommy DeVito do the same thing for your New York Giants on yeah. Monday night when he slid and Keyshawn Nixon from the Packers hit him and for some reason they didn't throw the flag when it was clearly contact. I think John Perry of ESPN tried to call it incidental. It's not incidental. If the guy is diving at the player who's sliding with the apparent intent of making contact and does make contact. I know, but the guy can't slide while the guy's already launched the tackle. I, I had no problem with but that. My that point, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, what a shock. What yeah. a shot. Yeah. What a shock. The guy whose attitude has beat the shit out of everybody. That's right. With it. Man up. But, right. but my point is this. Tommy DeVito later just decided, screw it. They're not going to give me the flag anyway. If I slide, I'll just run somebody over. And he ran over Darnell Savage. And Savage is on the sideline after that. So... <laughs> Again, you're risking injury every time you do it. And and from our perspective, like if the guy ends up being okay, it is fun to oh, watch it, it every it once is. in a while. I think no that's doubt. the balance as you're a right. fan. Like it's fun to watch it, just don't get hurt. But once you commit to being physical in that moment, you are throwing caution to the wind, and you're just kind of hoping that the guy's going to be okay. Yeah. And it's not our bodies that might be impaired or might require surgical intervention. So, and that's a common thing for fans. Like, oh, yeah, go get him, go get him. Oh, boy, that's a shame you broke your leg. Oh, well, you go get him next time. <laughs> but that's, that's what you have to balance as a quarterback because we've seen it this year, so many quarterback injuries, and I think there needs to be a premium placed on keeping quarterbacks healthy and one way to do it as the quarterback and as the guy coaching the quarterback is coach him up on how to avoid getting himself injured by avoiding those moments like Will Levis trying to run over Jalen Ramsey or Tommy DeVito trying to run over Darnell Sack. No, I, yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. There's a fine line. Hey, it's late in the game. It's third and seven. You're scrambling. you got to dive in, do it. Playoff game, right? Sure. Elway copter. You know, right. Exactly right. I understand those moments. You got to give up your body. Sure. You know, first, second quarter, meaningless, lowering your shoulder. There's no way I'm going to get the first down, whatever. That's the things he's got to get out of the, get out of his game for sure. Now, the thing you're talking about, you know, our enjoyment. The other thing is the locker room. He's going to get mad respect in the locker room. I mean, he, he, Johnny's trying to put him in a body bag. I mean, is it not hilarious? Is he not even, like, going more into Johnny, uh, put him in a body bag? I mean, I feel like he's embracing it now. I mean, now it's like with the war paint and everything, Johnny's going into war and battle and everything. I mean, it, he really has that whole attitude and mantra about him that I, I kind of chuckle with. But, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's got to be careful. Uh, we know. And, hey, the, the odd thing with the the, the only difference, yeah, The ahead. only difference is his sensei is saying, don't get your legs swept. <laughs> yeah. That's His sensei, I owe him a can of ham, too, for upsetting your best bet the other night. Way to go, Tennessee and Vrabel. Way to go, buddy. <laughs> oh, trust me, it's not, it's not a can. 
No, he's got expensive ham taste. It's gonna it's gonna set you back a hundred bucks to placate his <laughs> ham habit. Yeah. Well, don't worry. I'm not getting him anything, so don't worry. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, you're all, Go you're all good. You're, no, making, I was you're say, about to make a great point. I was going to say, no, it wasn't a great point, but you talked about, you know, protecting the quarterbacks and how, you know, we got to keep that at a premium and, and we want them to be healthy, of course, for, for better football and better viewing experience and drama and all that. But it's a year where all these injuries have happened and very few of them have been on plays we're talking about, like with Will Levis, right? It's kind of ironic. A lot of them have been non-contact or very – insignificant right physical contact to where you just go well I mean protection's not going to do it there you know I just I, I kind of found it ironic and, and that's that's well, what happened this year but is it possible some of the non-contact stuff is it possible some of the things that happen with minimal contact the stage was set by something that happened yeah, earlier maybe and it's that non-contact moment like the Deshaun Watson torn ACL from practice non-contact in 2017, we were all stunned that day it happened. I remember it was early November, and it was like, wow, because the guy was putting together a C.J. Stroud type of a rookie season where there's MVP buzz for Deshaun Watson. All of a sudden, it's over, and when we met with him at the Super Bowl that year, he said he thought he did it four days earlier, playing all out against the Seattle Seahawks and having a great game a game that prompted Richard Sherman to tell him afterward no quarterbacks played against us like that, including Tom Brady, but it was physical and he got a hit, and maybe that's what set the stage for the non-contact injury. I want to mention this, and we are not even close to getting to the things we're supposed to get to, but I keep my finger on the pulse of what people are thinking about and people are talking about, in part by doing a lot of local radio. Yeah. And the questions I get from the hosts give me an idea of the things that people are interested in talking about. One question I've been getting more often is what more can be done to protect quarterbacks? And as you're saying, not all that much. I mean, number one, they have to protect themselves. Number two, shit happens. There it is, 10 minutes in. But number three, there's nothing more that can be done with the rules. They're already designed and are being applied in a way that is calculated to try to keep the quarterbacks healthy. And really, Chris, I want your thought on this. This is why I went this way. I think the only thing that could be done at this point to make the quarterbacks any safer doing what they do, and one of the reasons that the roughing the passer penalty is aggressively enforced, they are going against the flow of everything that is coming toward them. They are putting their passing arm out there against the rush of defenders. So they are particularly vulnerable when they're in that position. Well, just like punters and kickers. That's really the only other thing that could be done, and it would dramatically change the game. But if they applied the same rule that they use for punters and kickers to quarterbacks, once a ball out, you can't touch them. That's the only other thing they could do. And it would, I know that it would make your head explode if that was the rule. It would. But at the same time, plenty of others' heads would explode as well. But that's the only other thing they could do. So there's nothing they can do at this point. Yes. Because the only other thing they could do is apply the punter and kicker roughing rules. Five yards, 15 yards. I mean, there is some appeal to it at a theoretical level. But in practice, it would very much change everything we see about how a pass play operates because you'd have defenders who are slamming on the brakes 
trying to slam on the brakes out of nowhere because once the ball is away, you can't touch the guy. Yeah, no, I, I you know, I mean, yeah, I would, my head would explode. I would stop watching football if that happened. I would, I would actually be a spokesperson. <laughs> I'd be, I might be a spokesperson against would. watching it, honestly, if it goes that far. Because it's, it's well, to me, it's, it's already borderline ridiculous. It, it is. And, it, you know, again, all these rules and everything here, it shows you. You can't protect them all the time anyways. And they're making tons of money. So, you know, screw the flow of the effing pass rush. Stand in there and make the damn throw. You're making $45 million a year. Nobody wants to hear it. It's part of the game. So what? Oh, no, we don't have our star quarterbacks for every game in the world. We're all still watching anyways. The games are still good. That's right. Right? So, I don't know. Yes, I don't want to see that. Uh, I don't want to. I definitely don't want to see that. That would change the dynamic of the game in a big way. Last year, when the criticism was at fever pitch on the roughing the passer, or as you called it, nothing the passer penalty, they sent Troy Vincent to ESPN for the Sunday morning pregame to defend the roughing the passer calls. And his point was... We need to keep quarterbacks healthy because healthy quarterbacks fuel interest, drive ratings. The top 10 shows of the year are all NFL games. And if you take the quarterbacks away, that's not going to be the case. Well, what are we learning this year? Yeah, no, it's not the case. Still is the case. Right, right. Still is the case. Right. That that whoever is out there playing quarterback, coach them up and go do it. And people are still going to watch. So they need to take a step back and and. You don't want to get to the point where you have no quarterbacks left because, God forbid, yeah, I hear to you sign there. Colin Kaepernick at some point. You yep. know, the NFL still doesn't want to do that. But I'm, I'm, I'm being a little facetious there. But there is a point where you're just out of quarterbacks. And if something like this, I mean, think about this. If this year had happened in 2017, 2018, 2019, how do you not call Colin Kaepernick at some point? Whatever black ball they were trying to, not trying to, successfully unfolding upon him and keeping him out of the league, you couldn't have kept him out of the league. This year, if this year was 2017, 2018, or 2019. But, but assuming that you have a supply out there of quarterbacks, yeah, it's not going to change. It's not going to change people watching. It's not going to change the level of interest. It's not going to change the intensity as we get toward the playoff push. It is so wide open right now. I, I, we're going to have the power rankings later in the show. Yeah. I mean, it's a couple of great teams. It's one crap team, and it's everybody else. And yeah. It's all jumbled together, and so yeah. many teams are alive. And we're watching, and it doesn't matter that we've had all of these major quarterback injuries. We wish they hadn't happened, but to your point, we're not shutting off our TVs and saying, well, wait for spring training. No, no. And, you know, again, what I would argue, and, we, you know, we grew up in this era. Is, I mean, how did we as football ever survive without all these quarterback rules? I mean, damn. How did Troy Aikman and John Elway and Jim Kelly and Dan Marino ever make it? I mean, oh my gosh, how did they do it? Right? I mean, a little bit is just the way the game has gone too. You know, we've got into running quarterback, right? Running quarterback, you you get hit more, you get hurt more. You just talked about it with Will Levis, right? So we see that as being an issue. The physicality and the speed of the game has certainly improved that as well. And then you know, the introduction of the small quarterback in the NFL. That We have guys in the NFL that play quarterback right now that would not be playing quarterback in the 80s and 90s. They would go, you're too small. You can't stand in the pocket and take some of those hits. So because of that, we got guys that I think are going to get banged up for every now, you know, every now and then, and, you know, we'll see where it goes. I, th- this year, I haven't had too many complaints with it. There's been a few that have been, 
you know, oh, man, that's nothing to pass here. But for the most part, I feel like they've they found their touch, the Midas touch, the fine line there of, okay, that was a little too much, and that was just football. And uh, I respect the adjustment, that's for sure. Well, the officials have made the adjustment. The question is, at what point does it become a point of emphasis again? Which yes, is a that's what's scary. Right, for, right. The officials aren't doing the job the way we wanted to do the job. I right. mean, I've been meaning to talk about taunting how – Remember how they used to have that hair trigger for taunting? You see taunting all the time. Yeah, and now everybody's in their face again. Before it's You're gonna right. Be, it's it's going to be it's going to be a point of emphasis, which means they weren't doing their job. We finally but no it man out. junk on guys. I haven't seen that. They oh, that stopped. Think, all right, I think <laughs> you seen that a few I times. I think they cut away quickly the other night. I think <laughs> okay. there was some dangling man junk, <laughs> okay. uh, which uh, which should be a foul. Okay, uh, now. The irony, and that's the second time we've used that term irony, and I think we're using it correctly. The irony of quarterback injuries this year, the one guy who stayed healthy wire to wire is Dolphins quarterback Tua Tonga-Vailoa. But his top offensive threat and arguably the most valuable player on that team, if not the most valuable player in the league, Tyree Kill, had that ankle injury on Monday night. He tried to play through it. We saw him at times in the second half of the game, not nearly enough on the sideline a lot. If they would have had him, they quite possibly, if not probably, win that game. He's day-to-day after suffering that ankle injury on a horse-collar tackle. I mean, it looked hip like drop. a hip drop, but when it was you look at drop it closely, horse it's, also, yeah. it's also a hand. It's a hip-drop horse-collar tackle. It is. And uh, that, that's one of the reasons why they, they're, they're going to get that hip-drop tackle out of the game, just like the horse-collar tackles out of the game. You don't want your best players or any of your players getting injured by getting dragged down that way and that wasn't a situation where we just got to get the guy on the ground I'm not saying that it was a dirty play I'm just saying that that is a prime example of you didn't need to tackle him that way you didn't need to do that to get him to the ground you aren't coming from behind trying to get him down there are other techniques you could have used to get him down in that moment although the counter to that would be He's Tyree Kill. Yeah. You got to take any chance you can that's, to get the guy on the ground or you're not going to get him on that, the ground. That's, that's what happens. I, th- I think you, you explained it just right, right? He's going, oh, no, it's Tyree Kill. He might turn the corner on me. Let me just get any hand on him possible. And then when you talk about, you know, the gloves, as you've heard me talk about, the sticky gloves, once they grab on, you're, they're stuck. But, yeah, it was almost a double whammy there. It was be- right hand on the name nameplate. And then it was pull the legs through and drop the body weight on the ankle. And, you know, I mean, my son will tell you and my wife will tell you at home, I I thought he broke his leg or tore his ACL. I was, oh, gosh, he's hurt. He's done for the year. I really, I thought it was horrible. And then, of course, you saw his reaction. I went, oh, no. Saw the replay. It was good to see that it was high ankle-ish, right? It gave me hope to go, okay, I don't think it's, like, horrible. Um, But that tackle's got to go, certainly. And, man, yeah, Tyree Kill, he's got to learn to protect himself almost like a quarterback because he's that important to the Miami Dolphins' success and what they do. And if they want to go to the Super Bowl, I mean, legitimately, they can go to the Super Bowl with Tyree Kill. If he's not on the field, I don't think they can go to the Super Bowl. That's how important he is to that football team. He is the MVP, in, in my opinion. You know I've been banging the table on that. And you see in that game, let alone, he comes out, all of a sudden the offense can't cut, move the ball. All of a sudden he's back in the game. Oh, boom, 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 boom. They go right down the field. Oh, he's back out. Oh, we can't move the ball again. I mean, uh, I think the other night was a, you know, a shining example of, of how important he is to the Miami Dolphins and how special he is as a player. And he's going to have to play to be the MVP. I mean, you yeah, could make the right. argument. 
if the Dolphins fall apart down the stretch and he's not playing, that proves his value. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's going to vote him number one MVP if right. he doesn't come back and get close to the single season receiving yardage record or get to 2,000 if the Dolphins are the four seed or if they don't even win the division, which is entirely possible. All the Bills have to do is make up a game in the next three weeks. In week 18, Bills-Dolphins is AFC's championship game, which is amazing how quickly oh. things can change in the NFL. To your point, December. it's up for grabs but, in the AFC. It's up for grabs, especially with the schedules of these top teams coming down the stretch, and I know we'll get into it in a little bit here. The point is this, day-to-day, and Mike McDaniel, coach of the Dolphins, was asked yesterday if he's optimistic we'll see Tyree Kill on Sunday when they host the New York Jets. Here's McDaniel. Yeah, I'm optimistic about Tyreek in general. I know if there's a will, there's a way. He, um, You know, it's a little early to uh, be that confident either way. You know, that was a painful, um, painful ankle that, that he – uh, took the time to kind of warm up work and get to a point where he could feel like he could provide what we need him to provide until he flat out tells me um, that there's uh, no doubt that he's going to play. You know, I'll, there's you always have to plan for for everything. And I- now, see, there's a fine balance here. How much do you defer to Tyreek Hill saying, I want to play, versus recognizing there's a point where he just shouldn't play? The four games left for the Dolphins, the one that they are most likely to be able to win without him is this one. And if you want to give him a little time off and give him a chance to heal up and brace for Cowboys, Ravens, Bills, this is the time to do it. But then you've got this guy who's obsessed with 2,000 yards, yep. obsessed with it, yep. still on pace for it, but right. you miss a game, you ain't getting to 2,000 yards. And how do you manage that personality, especially because you already know, and this is the Jamal Adams category, Stephon Diggs category, when you have a guy who became disgruntled where he was, there's a greater chance he's going to eventually become disgruntled with you. you got to tiptoe on eggshells around him at times, and this is a prime example of where Mike McDaniel is going to have a hard time. I mean, they did not shut him down on Monday night. They should have. They deferred to him. He said after the game, his wife told him, get his ass back in there. And he tried. And there were a couple of times I was like, boy, he looks fine to me. I know, right. But apparently he wasn't fine. He was fighting his way through it and potentially making it worse. That's the problem. So you keep pushing stubbornly, and the next thing you know, you're done for the season. It's better to have him for the playoffs. And that's where Mike McDaniel is going to have to summon all of his emotional intelligence and just that way he is and set the stage for Tyreek Hill to come to the conclusion on his own, Chris, with no one else telling him. He's got to come to the conclusion on his own that the right thing to do is to protect himself for the playoffs and not risk being unavailable after Week 18 because he's so obsessed with getting to 2,000 yards. Yeah, I agree. That that can't take precedence or, or be the most important thing in life compared to the bigger picture of what you're talking about, the, the value to the team the stretch run here, you know, last few games, you know, win the AFC East, be available for the playoffs, all of that. that that's got to be the number one goal here and the number one thing in mind when you talk about the health of Tyreek Hill. You know, we, we, we kind of just hit on it. Yeah, I, I, I don't think they're going to be able to beat some of the better teams in the football, let alone maybe win the Super Bowl without Tyreek Hill. Absolutely. He is the guy that changes their offense because of his talent. He's the guy that 
changes the defense and how they play you. I mean, I want uh, tomorrow. I'm hoping I could show you some pictures about what Tennessee did yet uh, on Monday night. So worried about Tyree Kill that they did some things that were unsound that Miami didn't take advantage of. Where I go, Miami, you can't let them not cover the backside receiver and just let you throw the ball all day, all game long. And we don't throw it to them because they're so worried about Tyreek. They did some crazy stuff. They called Miami's bluff a little bit. Miami didn't totally adjust, but that's the Tyreek Hill effect. There, you almost have to go, wait, we're going to have to cheat one area of detail or soundness to stop the Dolphins when Tyreek Hill's out in the field because he's that special of a talent, let alone – you know, Mike, he's got that quality that we talk about a lot with the 49ers. And, of course, the Chiefs have some of those guys. A psycho in a good way. It's, it's go through the wall. It's, yes, I want to play. I'm a psycho. I'm, I don't even think twice. All I know is play football. And, yes, coach, I'm going out to do it. And to that point, and like you're saying, that's where they got to protect himself from himself and protect himself from, you know, endangering the whole organization. Yeah, that's right, and that's going to be the challenge for Mike McDaniel because, look, this isn't bash Tua, but without Tyreek on the field, Tua Tonga-Vailoa is a different quarterback. We saw him have an opportunity, two games, side-by-side, and they ended in a way that it was staggered. We saw Tommy DeVito take his team down the field for a game-winning field goal against the Packers, and then we saw Tua Tonga-Vailoa have a chance to do the same damn thing, and he could barely get out of the gates. And it's just one data point in a broader sample size, but it's a data point without Tyreek on the field. Tyreek on the field, you have any doubt they're getting down and getting in field goal range with Tyreek on the field and healthy, fully healthy, 100% healthy? So, hell, they probably would have converted a first down or two on the drive sandwiched between the two Tennessee yeah, touchdowns. Right, right. If Tyreek Hill had been able to play, he was out there for like maybe third down. Yeah. He's not even out there as a decoy to soften up the run defense a little bit. So they need him. They need him. And Tua's done well. Tua's done great this year. But Tyreek Hill is more valuable to that team, and Tyreek Hill is the more viable MVP candidate from that organization if he can keep playing. And that's the question. Can he let go of the thing that has fueled him all season long, the accolades he's never enjoyed, No receiver's ever been MVP. No receiver's ever gotten to 2,000 yards. And focus on the ultimate team goal, which is winning a Super Bowl, which he already has done. Yeah. See, that's where you have to pivot your your incentive. You want to prove to the Chiefs you can win a Super Bowl on your own. They proved they could win one without you. You need to prove you can win one without them. That's part of the Jedi mind trick that someone needs to do on Tyreek Hill to maybe get him to sit down this week. Because really, if he does sit down this week, MVP's gone 2,000 yards, probably gone, although who knows? He'd probably yeah. potentially have a 300-yard game to make up for the slack. But but that that's, I think, this challenge. And especially if Mrs. Tyreek is saying, get your ass out there and play, you're working against that as well because that's where part of his motivation is coming from. Yeah, right. He goes into the halftime, and Mrs. Tyreek says, get your ass back out there. Yeah. And, the, and you know, the team might have been saying, oh, wait, we don't want your ass back out there. What do you do? How do you deal with it? That's just part of the delicate nature of, of a personality that's already proven, you press the right buttons, and he's going to want out of town. Yeah, well, I, I mean, yeah, he, he wants to play, and you, you know, he's fully invested. The one thing I, I've never heard different about Tyreek Hill is passion for the game, w- going to work his butt off all the time, crazy worker, 
So crazy into his health, everything that goes into it. So, he, of course, he's a freak of nature as is. His healing powers, as you say, are quicker than yours or mine or other normal people in the world. He's got a lot of money and access to people to help him out here in this situation. you know. And, hey, the heart wants to play. He, he wants to be out there. That's just what, what yeah. he is. And, you know, he's married to a wife, obviously, that feels the same way. She's saying, hey, honey, I, we didn't come here to go sit and watch these other guys out in the field. Uh, we came here to watch you. So you better get your butt out there and play. And uh, I don't know. It reminds me of my mom and things she used to say to my dad back in the day. She'd, she'd tell oh, him oh, to suck it up. tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> she'd tell him to suck it up. Whoa. He, you never knew. You never, I never told you this story. In 1993, dad wakes up. They're going to play the Arizona Cardinals mid-November day. He wakes up with vertigo. He had vertigo, right? Now, I don't know if he had it, how he got vertigo, if it was just Reggie White driving him into the turf too many times throughout his career, or he naturally got it, but he had vertigo. So he woke up and he was stumbling all over the house and they call the Giants and, you know, oh gosh, you know, Phil, Phil's all out of whack, blah, blah, blah. It was a four o'clock game, thankfully that day. So he went to Giants stadium early. They got a medicine, whatever he played, blah, blah, blah. Steve Serby, you know, the famous uh, New York sports writer up here, he calls my house the next morning on a Monday, and my mom, this is, you know, back in the day where you dial the phone and call somebody's house. My mom answers the phone, and she goes, you know, what did you say to your husband when you saw him leaving the house wobbly and all that? She told him, suck. she said, I told him to suck it up and get out there and play today. <laughs> <laughs> so the next day oh, on the man. New York Post on the sports page, it says, Phil's wife says, suck it up. And uh, so that will always be a, a story that I remember growing up, and That's it was great. a lot of fun, yeah. <laughs> well, and football players want to play and the people around them want to see them play football. And that is what you're working against. Yes, you have right. tremendous historic goals like Tyreek Hill has had all season long to have it pop like that. You can see the frustration emanating from him after he ran off the field, this whole idea. And he said himself after the game, he thought his ankle was gone. Mm -hmm. And I do need to add one last thing about the Tyreek Hill ankle injury, because yeah. given that we were you know, unwilling to ignore what our eyes were telling us with the Joe Burrow situation. I got a lot of Bengals fans that want me to keep that same energy when anybody else may be playing fast and loose with the injury report. What Tyreek Hill said Monday night, I got the quote here. I've, obvious, I've obviously been dealing with some ankle injuries this whole season. Well, I went back and looked at their injury reports. This whole season would suggest he's been on the injury report every single week with an ankle injury. It, it is not the case. Now, he was on week 14 and week 13 and week three. It doesn't specify which ankle. It could have been different ankle injuries. I don't know. But he hasn't been on the report all season long. So, Bengals fans, I did the due diligence. I checked it out. And it's just another example of how if he really did have ankle injuries all season long, there are many imperfections in the injury report. And just as basic as... Left ankle, right ankle. I think they should supply that information, yeah. not just for kickers and punters, but for everybody. Because we got two ankles. Saying ankle doesn't really help narrow it down. Well, I remember, I can't remember exactly the game, but I can remember him, you know, up the left sideline. Someone tackles him from behind. And I want to say it was like the Carolina Panther game. Maybe it was the Broncos game in week three. And he came up, you know, hobbling. And then, of course, the New York Jets Black Friday game, he came up hobbling, if you remember that correctly as well. So he's been dealing with it. There's no doubt about it. And I think the big thing is, like you're talking about, 
and everything there where the NFL needs to figure this out, you know, again, is, is he getting treatment in the facility, right? You know, Tom Brady made it popular to get treatment outside the facility and go find other famous, rich, you know, people in that area or in that, uh, what do I want to say, profession to help them out. And therefore, so that's that's the angle when I see a Tyreek Hill. And again, he's got a lot of money and can have a staff around him or people like that. They're, did he go into the training room to get treatment? Or does he go see his own people at you know 6 p.m. Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday that kind of go through his body and get him that way? And that's where the NFL has got to figure out how to detail that, police that, whatever you want to say. And when you wonder how that can happen, think of the force of personality involved. Hey, Tyreek, we need to check out your ankle. No, I'm good. Right. Hey, Trevor Lawrence, you should take the cart to the locker room. No, I'm good. Yeah, right. I'll walk. Even right. if it takes me two hours, right. I'll walk. There's a, a mentality there that it's hard to push back against. When you're talking about the guys who are the alphas, the ones who are out there on the field making it happen, and you're trying to tell them something they don't want to hear. No, as far as the Dolphins are concerned, Maybe they don't know, just like the Patriots. They don't know because it's all being done under the auspices of Alex Guerrero. Right. Tom Brady was getting his body worked on, so that's a good point. Now, there's another Dolphins injury that causes concern. Center Connor Williams out for the year with a torn ACL. That's something that – and they've had injuries on the offensive line, and they've managed to kind of shuffle, and they've – It seems like Teron Armstead is injured more often than he's healthy, and when he's healthy, it used to be – as Teron Armstead played, Tua thrived. And he needed to have Armstead in order to really be at his best. They've been able to work their way around it this year, but without your starting center the rest of the year, guy who's right at the heart of everything, helping out with the protections and the pre-snap reads, got to adjust to somebody else. Not good with only four games left in the regular season, Chris. No, not good. Definitely not good. You, the first point you made is is, is real. The guy that directs the traffic and points out the mic and tells the O-line who we got to block to and who we working to at the second level. And, of course, that's an important part of that offense, right, with all the moving parts, emotions, all the different plays they run. That's big. The second thing is this is probably the weakness of their football team to begin with is the offensive line, right? They, they, they are not – I know they run the ball well, but they run the ball well because of what we talked about earlier. Everybody's so worried about, whoa, there's Tyree Kill. He's going to run by us for 80-yard touchdown. Everybody plays. We got to double Tyreek. We got to put two safeties back. We got to move the whole secondary back so they don't run by us. That's So, you know, the running game is on a silver platter for them as far as numbers in the box and things like that. But as you see last night and as you've seen with every loss they've had this year, that is the problem when they play the upper echelon teams. Their O-line gets bullied. They got bullied in the run game for the most part and in the pass game. You know, they stayed patient with the run game. They ran a lot of runs on the edge, and they go on the edge because they know they're not going to win the dogfight up the middle against the Philadelphia Eagles or the Kansas City Chiefs or some of those teams like that. So that's where uh, it's my biggest question with Miami. When, when a game gets ugly like the other night, which it was ugly, and don't forget that it was 13-all with about four minutes left in the fourth quarter, right, before the Titans made mistakes – Right, those are the kind of games where I go. This is not Dolphins football. When it's physical, grimy, oh man, about the line of scrimmage, that's not usually good for them. They want track meet wide open, and 
this Connor Williams things, you know, just makes this that that problem, you know, a little bit bigger here down the stretch. Yeah, it's just more that Mike McDaniel is going to have to do to yeah. get things hide it in the right whatever. direction. And right. every team's got to deal with injuries. Every team's got to adjust. Every team's got to adapt. And two significant offensive injuries they have to deal with. By the way, one final item of business to clarify or fully explain what was said yesterday. When we were talking about Tyree Kill's injury and the fact that he had texted his wife at halftime, I had heard from an executive within the team said, you know, there's rules that apply here that he might have broken. You're generally not supposed to use your phone at halftime. There is an exception where you can contact a family member under the supervision of someone from the medical staff just to communicate, hey, I'm okay, or hey, they're taking me to this hospital, that kind of thing. You can't have any discussion about strategic realities, and it all is supposed to be supervised. The league clarified that, that you can call or text family members about injury issues, but that's it, nothing else. And it has to be supervised. And I wonder, like, if that's not getting supervised, Mike. It's not. It's do you show? Do you show? Is there a doctor standing there? I want to see what the text was. They got to stop writing rules that they don't police. That does. They got to stop. They they get themselves in trouble. They love to write rules and then go. We don't want to spend the ten dollars to actually police it. And then it comes back to bite them in the ass where they go, well, we have a rule and they're breaking it. Well, well, that's what people do. They break rules in all phases of life, all through society, unless they're police. That's what happens. I mean, I guarantee just about half the locker room goes in and looks at their phone a little bit. Just to check, wait, did some my family okay? Did anybody text me there? You know, whatever. Go on. We know. We've seen players check social media. Is it, what happened with them? Were they policed? Was somebody watching them going, let me make sure you're uh, texting your wife and not looking at Instagram? I mean, come on. That's just, so then have somebody there to police it then. But they don't. And that's just a bunch of talk, really, from the NFL. Well, and I know. And again, the point is, his admission, yeah. his admission, right. not a problem. Right. But, but did, you know, we... we did the Dolphins truly supervise the communications, and do we know the full extent? And you're right. They set up this bright line rule that is impossible to enforce, and they only punish you when they have a smoking gun after the fact. Right. There was somebody earlier this year, there was a player who, I think from the <laughs> Eagles, reacted to something on social media at halftime, yeah. got fined. It's not a huge fine, right. but still, that, that we talked about that yesterday. They are allowed to communicate with family members regarding injuries but you're right i think that the whole stay away from your phone it's not policed it's it's a minimal relative to what they're making fine i made that point yesterday it's along the lines of the ten thousand dollars randy moss for rubbing his butt against the goalpost in the 2004 playoffs what's 10 grand to me Tyree Kill's attitude to be the same way. You want to find me 10 grand fine here's the 10 grand halftime is so hectic in the nfl right it's 12 minutes it's literally get in the locker room, guys, the training room, the training staff. They got a million guys coming. Hey, retape my ankle. Hey, this is something bothering me. Hey, can you tape this up? Hey, can I get an IV? There's nobody policing people at their locker to look at what they're doing at their, in their locker and what they're playing with there or looking at. There's nothing. And then before, you know, before the hectic starts to settle down the coach comes out and is like hey we got to get ready to go hey offense do this defense do that hey special teams do this let's go let's have a good second half boom and you're out so there's definitely nobody policing that that's all that's all talk the loss on monday night by the dolphins to the tennessee titans coupled with baltimore's stirring overtime victory over the rams has put the ravens in the driver's seat to be the number one seed 
in the AFC. I saw on ESPN, I believe it was, after the game Monday night, the percentage chance of the Ravens locking up the one seed, 53 based upon whatever algorithm they use, but currently 53%. There they are, the betting favorites, to get that number one overall seed at minus 110 with the Dolphins and Chiefs. People still believe it's amazing. It's Hey, folks, it's not 2019 anymore. But they still believe in the Chiefs. Yeah, I know. Because that that's 3-1 to one because people are still betting on the Chiefs to find a way to navigate this mess over the final four weeks and get to the top spot. They're not the Chiefs that they were in recent years. And look, will they find motivation in people like us saying they're not the Chiefs that they were and they'll stick it to all of us and get the one seed? It wouldn't surprise me if they did. Regardless, what we've seen through 13 games is not the Chiefs we're accustomed to. And I think the real odds are longer than three to one of them being the number one seed in the AFC. Well, I agree. They're not the Chiefs that we've seen the five years previous to the to this, right? You know, and again, uh, they are the Chiefs, and it's Mahomes, and you certainly wouldn't want to see that group coming into your town during the playoffs, right? And even with them not being the same this year. You know, no, they really, I mean, like we talked about the other day, the Denver loss in Denver is the only game you really look at and go, well, they got outplayed, they got beat that day. The other losses you go, well, eh, they kind of could have won, should have won, outplayed a team and screwed it up, right? So there's there's some hope there that they can still be that number one seedish type of team. And here's the other thing that I'll throw out to you, Mike. This is where it's interesting. The Chiefs' home stretch is rather easy here especially compared to the Ravens and the Dolphins. Like, I don't think it's crazy to sit here and look at the Ravens and the Dolphins and go, they could lose three games. They could lose two. I, I mean, it's not that crazy to look at it. And the Ravens are not playing their best football right now. I mean, they didn't look great against the Chargers. They weren't great last week against the Rams, right? Now it's at Jacksonville, who's a little desperate. The 49ers, Miami. I mean, we could be sitting here in three weeks and go, damn, the, the Ravens are 10-6. and six. They lost three in a row. And then, you know, the Dolphins with their home stretch, hey, we think we'll beat the Jets this week. But then Dallas at Buffalo, I mean, at Baltimore and then Buffalo, they certainly could lose three more games. I mean, we're looking at a year where are we looking at, like, the number one seed in the AFC might be 11-6, and six, something like that. I don't think it's crazy to think that. And I think that probably adds to the Chiefs you know, numbers or, or betting line being a little more favorable that way. Well, and you know what? I don't disagree with you there. And if we've learned nothing through 14 weeks, anything can happen. Right this year, yeah. And Damn. We're on the brink of a final four weeks that will be chaotic and spectacular. Yeah, right. When you think of all the twists and turns, and we're going to draft later the in the show, playing unless each we other. talk too much about other topics, yeah. with the best games left. There are some great games still to come, and several of them are in prime time, standalone. We get to watch and enjoy, but so many teams are alive. And even though I'm ready to give the trophy to the 49ers and everybody else is just kind of there, Chris, jobs are going to be saved and jobs are going to be lost by coaches and their staffs over this next four weeks. Who's able to suck it up and parlay wherever they are now into a playoff spot? Who falls apart? Do they make a bad decision at the wrong time? Is that enough to get an owner to say, I'm going to make a change? Regardless of the fact that the 49ers are far and away the best team in the NFL, there's still 14 playoff spots. And whether you're in or whether you're out goes a long way toward determining whether you're in or whether you're out of a job. So that uh, adds to 
the intrigue and just the overall excitement that we should all have for these last 64 regular season games. All right, the MVP odds. Let's take a look at those because we've mentioned Tyreek Hill. Chris has been making the case. And I think if he's able to finish out the season and get to 2,000 receiving yards or close to it, and if the Dolphins are close to the one seed, he gets the vote. He should get the vote. He probably will get the vote from me and might get, well, it's not might. Chris is already ready to cast the ballot. Here he is with the fifth best odds to win MVP at plus 1,600. That's 16 to 1. The highest non-quarterback on the list. It's all quarterbacks except for Christian McCaffrey. And I was having this conversation with the PFT writers via text over the weekend. They've kind of come to the conclusion that the MVP is going to be the quarterback of whoever wins the one seed in the NFC. I'm not ready to go there because I'm not ready to hand it to Brock Purdy if the 49ers are the number one seed because I think there are other viable MVP candidates on that team we need to take into consideration and whether or not that diminishes his case. And, you know, there's a push out there for Dak Prescott even if they don't win their division. Right. No, I, I, I'm, 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 I mean, I hear you. First off, the 49ers are famous for what? Their run game. They're a run-first football team. And they got McCaffrey and Debo Samuel who run the hell out of it. And, you know, we sit here and I, Brock Purdy definitely deserves to be up towards the top of that conversation. He's playing awesome. But, you know, again, like I argue with a lot of people with a lot of different quarterbacks. The game, oh, here's a screen to Debo. Oh, he runs 50 yards for a touchdown and breaks seven tackles. Whoa, what a play, Brock, Brock Purdy. I, I know I go, what a play by Shanahan and Debo Samuel. But that, that's where, oh, here, handoff to McCaffrey. He runs for 75 yards. Oh, hey, fake the handoff to McCaffrey. Whoa, somebody's wide open. I mean, again, I don't know if that necessarily means MVP to me all the time. That's where I think it's a fun year. It's, there's discussion here. And I'm trying to break this mold of all the sports writers out there and everybody of just like, oh, quarterback on the best team gets it. Let's open up our eyes a little bit. You know, I mean, there was a day here where running backs would get in that conversation. I mean, you know, they were the focal point in the NFL. Why can't that be the case here? The league is a passing league right now. Why can't the best receiver in the league be a part of the MVP conversation? Dak Prescott, Tyree Kill, Brock Purdy, Christian McCaffrey. Those would be my top four. I don't really understand. Lamar Jackson. Well, and then I would make him five. I would. And I don't even know if his play is that outstanding to throw him towards the top there right now. And I definitely don't understand the Jalen Hurts one. I don't understand how you can be outplayed Uh by the other team's quarterback for five weeks in a row. And they go, you're an MVP, even though you were the second best quarterback on the field for five weeks in a row. That's insane. We got to get off of that. It's over. Stop. Stop putting him on the damn list. But Lamar Jackson, five. I'll agree with you there. The three-game losing streak we saw from the 49ers happened when both Debo Samuel and Trent Williams were unavailable to play. Right. Brock Purdy and McCaffrey was, was banged up. Debo and McCaffrey was banged up as well from that Browns game. That yeah. Browns game started the three-game slide because you saw the injuries to McCaffrey, Debo, and Trent Williams all in that same game. Purdy was fine. Purdy had that concussion protocol thing that just kind of came and went between the Vikings game and the Bengals game. But the three losses weren't because Brock Purdy wasn't available. The three losses were because Williams and Samuel weren't available and McCaffrey was banged up. I just think it's difficult to say Purdy's the MVP when you've got so many other key players who make that offense go. And as you say, it's so much more than passing the ball. 
It is running the ball to set up the pass. No, look at that. And there he is. It's a touchdown running. pass. I threw the ball two yards behind the line of scrimmage. Oh, he broke 11 tackles and scored. I'm the MVP. Right? That's where I'm just fighting against. Whoop! Well, here's a reverse to this guy. Hey, touchdown. Blah, blah, blah. Hey, we'll fake the reverse to that guy in a minute, and I'll throw a screen to somebody else, and I'll get into more big stats to back it up. That, that's all I'm trying to say out there. Yeah, he's really damn good and doing a great job. But, yeah, yes, thank you for helping my point along there. Are we just swept up in a big story because he was the last pick in the draft and he's kind of come out of nowhere and stabilized the quarterback position? I don't know. I don't know. And, look, we, we, we're we having this hypothetical conversation. We're not making our final picks now. We'll make our final picks once the season is over. It's Chris, a good it's discussion. point that out because we both have votes. We're yeah. allowed to talk about it, but – we're not saying what our votes are going to be. We're both, I think, in agreement that we'll make our ballots after the final game. We're yeah. just talking about it for now. That, that's right. It's all talk. Our votes. I'm not, you it know. Took, it, it took long enough to get them. I don't want to lose Right. Them. I'm not. Yes. I'm, I'm. It's The door is open. I think it's a fascinating year because of the things we're talking about. And that's why I want to keep this conversation going. Yeah. If you ask me who I would have voted for last week, going into the, to week 14, it would have been Tyree Kill. But Dak Prescott continues on this trajectory he's on with the schedule they have down the stretch, and he keeps playing like this. It'd be hard for me not to, to vote for him too. You know, so we'll we'll see where it goes. But I I think like you know to your point, the play on the field is going to shake shake this all out for all of us, and hopefully that'll figure it out come uh, early January and mid January, and we got to vote for it. Like so many of these questions that we like to discuss while there's still games to be played the ensuing games, once they unfold, once the dust settles, the answers will kind of reveal themselves. But it'll still be fun. It'll still be fun to see what those answers are once we get through the final game of the regular season. Don't forget on DraftKings Sportsbook this season, customers can bet $5 and pocket $150 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, easy for him to say, plus all customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Download the app and use the promo code PFTLIVE when you sign up DraftKings Sportsbook to crown is yours when we return the job in minnesota is not josh dobbs we'll discuss that next here on pft live 